the idea that this is a warranty um, is typically wrong. You tackle the liability issues by defining the ought. It's a business world, uh, so know what you're doing. How to fight and get your own rights against the company on the other side of the world. Yeah, you don't have the knowledge of God. You're not all-knowing. All Hello, Anne. Hello, Gregor. Time again to speak together. Uh, today, I have some uh, uh, questions regarding uh, service-level agreements, SLAs. Mm -hmm. Because if you might expect in my job, I several times have to do with them. And also several times how disappointing they are in real life to me. <laughs> and especially uh, to this disappointments, I have some questions to you. And maybe you can bring some light uh, into this uh, gray zone for me. So um, so from your point as a, as a lawyer, right? So um, what were the most common misunderstandings some of your clients or people you know had with SLAs or let me say uh, mis-expectations mm. so something like this well the, the first and most obvious and, and, and please tell me after this if you've been there um, with the companies you worked for is a misunderstanding of what, what an SLA actually is and what it does so I mean typically an SLA especially if you talk about software or a service um, gives you a number And many people are hooked on the number, many managers are hooked on the number, and it says something like 99.8% of the time a certain service or software or infrastructure should be available. So that's what it does. Yeah. And what the customer often hears is, oh, this is a kind of warranty. So 99.8%, I can use this, and if not, um, I can sue them and extract damages or anything. And it's totally not true. Um, and it's a misunderstanding of what the function of an SLA actually is. Um, because we have to understand from a legal point of view, what the SLA, the service level agreement, it's in the name, it defines a service level of what you can expect as a customer. And just to illustrate the point, uh, because the, what, what we are used to as customers, as normal end customers, you and I, as, as, as people who participate in the market, yeah. when buying, Things. Let's not go into services when you buy things, a car or butter or pan. Um, then, yeah, then we want the description of what the thing does. How fast does the car go? Yeah. How many liters of gas, um, or these days of battery power, uh, does it, does it consume per 100 kilometers with given conditions? These kind of things. So we expect a certain odd condition of the thing we are buying. What is it? Ought to look like. Um, and, and then if, if you find, oh, the car doesn't go that fast or it uses much more gasoline, then the is and the ought are not in alignment. And we say the, the car is faulty, it is defective. It's much more difficult for, for a service yeah? um, because you have a time uh, dimension. It's not just that it has to do certain things. It has to do certain things over time. It doesn't have to, I don't know, provide you with whatever the software does, the functionality, it has to provide you. So if it's a cloud-based software um, in, in a defined time frame, then again, using the 99.8% industry standard SLA, so you can have only 
downtime, non-availability of the software. And what it does is it defines the ought. This is what the software does in terms of the time dimension. So now what does it mean if, for example, the software is not 99.8, but only 99.5% available, which is sounds not that much, but it is in fact a, a lot, maybe days um, if, if, you, if you think uh, over a year as a reference period. Yeah? So what it does is it's not like uh, I can extract damages now, but typically the SLA will say something like, okay, the odd condition is the availability of 99.8. So if the is condition goes below that, then you may be entitled to a service credit or you may pay a bit less or you may get some additional uh, goodie at some other point. So the, so I, the idea that this is a warranty um, is typically wrong. It's just the definition of the odd condition. Yeah, so that's probably the the most common um, misexpectation, misunderstanding that I, as a lawyer, can think of when it comes to service level agreements. By the way, are there some maybe differences in uh, different localities in the world? What are the oh, basics? Yeah. Oh yeah, there are. There are. Um, the the there is a, there's a ton of there's a ton of details here, um, and it's probably a bit too complicated and I'm not of course a qualified lawyer in all parts of the world obviously so let me let me do this on a very high uh, level basis um, and, and maybe compare especially American law with many European uh, jurisdictions in America um, what you very often have is you you um, tackle a lot of liability and warranty issues with a liability cap uh, yeah um, so you simply say, okay, you know, I'm not liable for more than, I don't know, some X or whatever amount of 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 um, of uh, monies that you paid over the first year or the last year or the last two years of the service. You know, these kind of things. Liability cap. Um, in Europe, it's sometimes difficult to do that because over here we have a problem. With liability caps, um, if they are not negotiated uh, very carefully, if they are put into general terms, uh, terms and conditions, uh, or if they are unfair, unjust, so there's a high risk that the liability cap may not be enforceable um, or may actually be subject to all kinds of cease and desist actions. There's there's a ton of intricate details here. Yeah. Now, one way to tackle that is exactly the SLA. Uh, because again, um, what it does is um, it, it defines the odd condition of the service. Now, the thinking, again, from a European perspective, where liability caps are a problem, is, okay, if there's something I'm not, I not even need to deliver, then I can't be liable for that. Mm. So, it, in a way, you tackle the liability issues by defining the odd and trying to go maybe a bit lower than normally you would want to do, you want to go. Uh, because again, uh, for the 0.2% between 99.8 and 100%, you can't be held liable. So the question of a liability cup doesn't, doesn't even come into play. And the same if you go below that, and then 
Um, what happens under the contract is not like um, a termination right or a right to demand damages, or so, but, but just a right to be credited with some service credit or to pay a bit less. Um, then basically what you've done is, again, you lowered the need um, to think very hard about the liability cap. So it's a very versatile and, and handy tool, especially uh, coming from a European legal perspective. It's a fantastic tool. So we love SLAs over here. <laughs> so, so we do. So from the from the perspective of the uh, service provider, it can be so it it it's presented as it's very great for you as a customer, but actually mm -hmm. it's a way for the service provider to um, cover cover himself somehow, right? So in regards. Well, it's a tool and tools are being used and it needs to be understood, um, how, how these tools work and, and what they do. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I hear what you're saying and, uh, it sounds tempting to see it like that. Oh, that's a tool they use to, I don't know, tilt, uh, the playing field. Um, and, and, and that it can be used like that. Mm. But then again, basically it's a tool you need to understand. I, I guess my point here is both sides need to read the contract, need to understand the contract and need to know what they're getting there. Um, so the idea here, of course, being that both of them are typically businesses um, which have uh, lawyers or an internal legal department, so they should be knowing what they're doing. We don't, we, we do not talk, in, in, in the context of service level agreements and software as a service and these things, typically we don't talk much about customers and customers yeah so so uh, private customers we talk about businesses and yeah. hey it's a business world uh, so know what you're doing but yeah i hear what you're saying it's a danger so yeah read it carefully and, and make your conclusions um maybe can we step into some other potential misexpectations or misunderstandings yes. so um do, do you have other ones Mind. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so one one typical one. Uh, this also kind of has to do with this read the contract, read also the fine print. Yeah, uh, typically in an SLA, what you what you will find is not just a number. And we very much talk about that one number. That's just one dimension. Um, but it's also how and where uh, this number is being calculated and measured. Uh, so very often. If we talk about availability of 99.8%, then the provider will say, this is what I can provide, you know, going out. You, custom, may not receive it. For example, I cannot be held responsible, which is perfectly reasonable, I would say, um, for any problems that, that happen in between. Um, for example, if your internet provider, your ISP, is not performing well, or if there is some incompatibility um, within your system, dear customer, that, that's all your problem. That's your sphere of risk, which makes sense, by the way. Um, so, but then again, this ties back to this 99.8. And let me stick to that number for the duration of this podcast because it's such an industry standard number sometimes. Uh, this is not a warranty of what you get. This is something that I promise to deliver from my point of view. So that, that is kind of a call to, um, to the customer to take care uh, uh, for their own um, uh, for their own infrastructure and do their own homework, which then again make, makes perfect sense. So that that's one thing that that I would say happens um, pretty often. Um, 
And then, of course, talking about the fine print, typically um, there's also some carve-outs regarding maintenance times, you know, that may have to be... Um, may have to be um, uh, scheduled ahead for a certain time and they may have to happen at certain times where they don't interrupt the normal business, these kinds of things. But they are typically carved out from these 99.8%. And if in in certain cases, we've seen this, not only uh, scheduled maintenance times, but but even um, reaction times and, 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 and repair times may be uh, excluded from the 99.8%, which means that these 99.8% are not net what you get um, because there's a ton of of, of carbs out here. So you, you have to read that very carefully as a customer, I would say. So it, it may happen that if you, as a customer, if you report an incident and you say whatever software as a service, whatever infrastructure is down, then, uh, then uh, uh, that the, the the repair time may not uh, may not be part of the ninety nine point eight percent, which is leads me to another thing um, uh, that that and, and this is also important. It's again read the contract, but yeah. you know so many so many things that may happen. Um, typically in an SLA, it's not just about what the provider has to do, but also what you as a customer have to do. You have duties, uh, which makes sense. Again, it's 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 a real world problem uh, or real world issue. For example, if there's a downtime, you may have to report it. You may have to open a ticket. You may have to call the provider, and you may have to do that uh, as soon as possible. And otherwise, you might actually violate your own duties um, and with, with certain rights. Um, the provider may say, "Okay, you you didn't report the incident, so I couldn't even start working on it." So obviously, this cannot be part of um, uh, of any calculation of of, of downtimes. Yeah. So it's also about knowing what you have to do, and if I may say that, establishing proper processes of how to do that. I mean. Uh, who has the obligation to monitor that? Who opens a ticket? Uh, who follows up um, on on the incident response uh, on the side from the side of, of the service provider? So all of these things have to be thought about beforehand. Um, it, it, it's part of the internal process that has to happen on the customer side. Yeah, and I think that's probably the main things that I can think of. Is there anything from your side as a as a as a CTO, as a, as a techie working on the front line in the trenches, what did you did you did you experience anything in that regard from a practical level? Yeah, several stuff. Uh, I would say mm-hmm. the most uh, common one for me in several stages, and also people I know, was usually mm-hmm. you don't work in companies which are so big like other big companies from the other part of the world. So. Mm. So the big ones, right? The big ISPs we all know. So, yeah. and we have to be aware all of them can have incidents where some of the infrastructures are not available. Mm. So, and it also, I believe there are some people I know who already experienced this and this also including me. And very often uh, when it happens, um, although... I wrote them, for example, there was an incident, there comes something back, we don't recognize something, this this on our side. And also other people experience that, right? So they don't don't say, no, for us, everything was working. 
Mm-hmm. Although we we definitely experienced that something wasn't working as it should. And it was not something like, right, as you just mentioned before, right, uh, the internet provider in between was the problem. Mm-hmm. There was a server, for example, unavailable in a certain available of time and does not report to other service, services inside of the same network of this ISP, right? Mm-hmm. So definitely. But ISP said, no, everything was great on our side and said, we have to prove that it wasn't, that it wasn't working at this point of time, which was problematic because we were not able to reach them at this point of time. Mm-hmm. So, and the problem here from my side is from the contractual standpoint, we had some rights, but to be very fair, as a very small company from Europe, how to fight and get your own rights against the company on the other side of the world, right? Which is very big compared to you. It's a problem. And the problem is is manifold. Um, the first, obviously, and you mentioned it already, let me just reiterate that from a legal perspective, is how do you actually, how do you find, how can you prove, um, how can you document that something was not working as it was supposed to, as it should have? Yeah. Um, how do you measure it? Um, how can you actually do that? And that's something that probably has to be thought of beforehand. Same thing. Yeah. So who has the who has the burden of proof? What does proof mean uh, in this context? This can be sometimes negotiated. Um, but then again, coming back to your example of the big players, um, and I guess you're talking about the AWSs and, and Microsofts of this world, these kind of things. It's very hard to negotiate uh, a contract with them unless you yourself are of similar size and have similar um, contractual, legal and, and financial firepower. Um, but then again, even if you can't negotiate, it makes sense to think about that. Maybe you can do something to collect information, to monitor um, the provision of the service, you know, something, something like that. But then, of course, um, and that's the thing that you mentioned, uh, it's very, it can be incredibly hard um, to um, um, to yeah to litigate if if you have to go there. I mean, then again, typically you don't. Very often, something can be negotiated, but if you have to litigate, um, it's very hard. So, threatening to litigate uh, legal action is is typically a blunt tool because you may have some right, some some legal system, uh, some jurisdiction that you don't know, you may have standing in the court you don't know, you may face uh, upfront legal costs that are prohibitive and maybe also cultural barriers. Um, so yeah, I, I perfectly agree. That's a thing to talk about. Sometimes um, all you can do is you, you, you've got to live with it and risk manage um, um, b- because these providers are so huge that you can't really work without them. And you just have to hope for the best. Yeah, I I have to agree. And I have no good solutions, to be honest. Um, other From a legal point of view, um, other than to say, uh, always think about if there maybe is uh, another solution. Maybe we're just too lazy to look for a solution that may be a bit closer to home, that may be a bit easier to monitor, and to say it loud, a bit easier to, uh, to sue um, <laughs> if, um, if excrement hits the fan. So, so yeah. Yeah. So, and there were also other issues, for example, like um, direction times, which are listed in the contracts. I also know by myself, hardly, mm-hmm. 
that uh, it only means the time when someone says, I'm start to work on it, which doesn't actually yeah. mean in several cases, unfortunately. Uh, so, for example, I say reaction time within 50 minutes. Yeah, so mm -hmm. often they're really reacting this time and say, yep, we are working on this problem. But mm -hmm. it also, unfortunately, happens very often that it then takes um, sometimes hours and also in very worst scenarios, also days before the problems get fixed. Yeah. Which is, by the way, also from the technical perspective, naturally, because, right, um, you notice there's a problem that, for example, a machine is completely broken right now, as an example, and to repair it and, and to restore data also, maybe if some, so for example, some other data lines are also broken, it can take a while and you cannot foresee how long it may take. Yeah. So, but there, for example, also see, I would not say that's then a fault or or a trip or something like this by the ISP, right? That says, yeah, direction time is not the time the person solves it. And with, uh, so in, in this time frame, but maybe also a misunderstanding or, or a mistake also by customers, right? Where also PBI know and also by myself are already trapped into that in very worst case scenarios, reaction time only means the time to react and not to solve the problem. That is, and I just repeat, What you say, um, that's a real world problem. It's very hard. Um, it's easy in a way, right? Easy is maybe a wrong word, but it's doable. It's manageable uh, to agree a uh, reaction time. It's very hard, um, to, to uh, agree and promise basically a time to a solution because you just don't know the nature of the problem beforehand. And you don't have the knowledge of God. You're not all, all knowing. Um, There are some there are some remedies um, that you may be able to take from a legal point of view. So, for example, a reaction may not be a complete fix, but maybe just a patch that enables the the customer um, to continue working in some way or shape or form. So you may uh, you may level down basically an incident from a level one incident to a level two or three incident. These yeah. kind of things by doing certain things. Um, and that may be set forth in the SLA and it makes a lot of sense. It doesn't really solve the problem, but it may mitigate it. Um, so, I mean, there's a difference between an organization that, uh, that can work only, you know, with certain patches involved and a bit of inconvenience and an organization that has a complete downtime. Um, so that makes sense. Other than that, well, I'm afraid to say um, the only solution may be to choose your contractual partner wisely. So choose one who has a reputation to lose um, yeah. um, so, so that uh, they have this eagerness to actually not only react but solve your problem and have maybe ideally already shown the capability of solving problems uh, in the past. And of course, if they happen to have an infrastructure that is known not to cause too many problems, that would be an additional advantage, of course. But then again, this is the lawyer talking about technical issues. At the end of the day, knowing of whether or not a provider fulfills these criterias, criterias that that's your job uh, as a techie. So. Yeah, but also what you also said at, at the beginning somehow, right? So read the contract mm -hmm. carefully and not just read uh, the advertisement signs. Like, yeah. 99.9%, but then forgetting that there might be also reaction time and what are the consequences, right? So, for example, what happens if the if the SLAs are um, broken, right? So, mm -hmm. 
what can I expect? And for example, for many uh, service providers from the other side of the world, it's usually, oh, you get some discounts for some time yes. and uh, then you get some more discount and it takes a long downtime before you get really money back and most li likely never you get money for your lost business, for example. Yeah. But you should be aware of it, right? So that's maybe also some very important learning. That, that's a very good point you're making. Um, and, and I want to further that just for um, 30 seconds maybe. Um, and, and you talking about, you kind of uh, made that um, made that point that sometimes there's a bit of entrapment into an SLA or a bit of trickstery. And this may be one of those things, or maybe it's just misunderstanding. I'm, I'm not even implying intent here. But um, many players in the tech space, both from the provider side and from the customer side, they kind of treat the service level agreement as some annex to the main contract. Yeah. Uh, so that's something, that's the thing with the number in it. Um, whereas from legal point of view, we treat the, the service level agreement, the SLA, as the heart of the contract. Now, that's basically the thing where everything else is built around because it's a definition of what the, the, the service provider has to deliver. Yeah? Yeah. The service they have to render, the, the kind and amount. Um, so, so yeah, um, if, if your point is, and that's what I understand, is treat this seriously and maybe even start your reading and understanding and comprehension of the agreement from the service level agreement, then yes, I would very much agree with that. Very much. Okay. Do you have some other points? Um, that's probably mainly it. Um, so if I have to wrap up My mm -hmm. talking points, it would be read it, understand it, manage it. That would be my, my, um, my cheat sheet when it comes to service level agreements. <laughs> I mean, do you have anything to add from a very, then again, trench line, practical, technical um, um, point of view? Is there anything where you say, okay, from a technical point of view, this is what you have to look into? Read the contracts carefully, try to really understand mm -hmm. what are the consequences and choose your contract partners wisely. Yes. Do some technical due diligence yeah, on them. Yeah. So that I'm at least prepared yeah. and maybe uh, change another partner, although the partner might be 10% more expensive, but uh, mm. once the excrements are hitting the fan, I'm better secured. Yeah. Practically. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, no disagreement here today. Damn it. What do we do? I would say we can close for today. Let's close it on that note. <laughs> it was always a pleasure. The pleasure was completely on my side. So, um, and uh, what we should probably tell to our audience is um, please like and subscribe. And if you have anything to add, your experience with service level agreements, where did they work, where didn't they work, where did you run into problems or issues or roadblocks, please write them down into the comments below. Thank you very much and see you next time again. See you next time. Bye. Bye.